Howdy, and welcome to the Mark Inesito Podcast. My name is Mark Inesito, and this is my second podcast. Um, I want to send a shout-out before I get started. A shout-out to another podcast out there. The Wilder Newsville Talk Show and more for favoriting my podcast. So thank you very much for that. I appreciate you. And also I want to thank the support of my family and friends as well. So thank you very much for your continued support. Um... So today's podcast, I want to read a essay I wrote in 2017 about the Chicago Blues music. It's obviously about music, uh, something that I'm passionate about, and um, it's 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 fairly historical and informative. Um, however, though, I got a B in the final grade, um, still passing, but still a B. But I am. Um, so basically, I misunderstood the, the instructions the instructor gave. So I kind of wrote more of a historical and affirmative piece than pretty much what she was looking for. She was looking for some history, but not a whole lot. And that's what happened. But she dinged me for that, got me a B, which is still passing. But I wish it was an A, right? <laughs> um, she liked it. She admitted she liked it. It was just too historical. And it wasn't what she was looking for as far as content. Um, so, yeah. Um before I start, I want to send a couple of apologies out there. I want to apologize if any of the songs offend anyone. Um, of course, blues music tends to have song titles that are based on sexual references. Not all of them, but some of them, or a good portion of them, if you will, um, did that. So I apologize if I offend anyone. It's not my intention to offend. I was just doing my job and doing a research paper, and that's what... She actually wanted. She wanted some song titles, so I gave her. You know, I am as much as I could find. And uh, I also want to apologize. Um, again, this being a research paper, I had to pay references to my sources. Um, I want to apologize for anyone's names that I mispronounce or can't pronounce. Uh, again, I apologize, and uh, I just want to make that clear before I start. So that way we're all good. So without further ado, here is my uh, essay that I wrote. The Chicago Blues Movement. In music history, the Chicago Blues Movement made its mark and had a huge impact on the influence of rock and roll. The Chicago Blues Movement was the first, if not one of the first, blues genres to become amplified. So much music history can be learned about the Chicago Blues sound. By the time 1954 had come around, a new genre of music was born and was definitely inspired by the Chicago Blues sound that changed a generation and brought in new fans. This continued into the 1960s in countries such as Britain with bands coming out that took the styles of American blues and created their own style of music. My goal for this paper is to give a history about the Chicago blues movement, talk about some of the acts that made the genre what it became to be, and talk about how the Chicago blues sound influenced the rock and roll of the 1950s along with the British invasion in the 1960s. I also want to share how the Chicago blues sound still holds and influence in music of today's generation. For those of you who have an interest in music and the history regarding rock and roll, then this essay is for you. To start this essay off, I figured I would give a brief explanation how blues music came about. Jackie Berkeley gives a good explanation in the April 18, 2010 article, The Chicago Blues, A Brief History, which was electronically published on the upchicago.com website. Berkeley states that the exact origin of the blues is not really known. 
It made sense that its early influence occurred was established in the North Mississippi River Delta in the late 19th century, just after the Civil War came to an end. The original Delta Blues was heavily influenced by African roots music. Most of the songs were about an expression of feelings such as hope and despair, freedom and oppression. As slaves would work in plantation fields, they would sing early work songs, or as Berkeley puts it, sing field hollers to each other. They created rhythms as well as in stomping their feet and clapping their hands. If you were to discuss how blues music as we know it had come about, we go way back to 1902 with an event that occurred at a Mississippi train station. In an article written by Larry Nager on the Memphis Music Hall of Fame website, which is a biography of W.C. Handy, in 1902, 29-year-old Handy, a newly married man, arrived in Mississippi as he got his first taste of the blues. It occurred at a train station near Tutwiller, Mississippi. Handy described the scene in his 1941 autobiography, Father of the Blues. A lean, loose-jointed Afghan was plucking a guitar beside him. The man pressed a knife on the strings of the guitar in a way that was popularized by Hawaiian guitarists that used steel bars. Handy called it the weirdest music he had ever heard, but Handy also added that the tune the gentleman was playing stayed in his mind. Handy became known as Father of the Blues. It was a title that Handy had earned in 1912 by composing and publishing the first commercially successful blues piece titled Memphis Blues. It was two years later in 1914 when Handy made his mark by writing and publishing the St. Louis Blues. In the days prior to 78s being produced, music was sold in sheet music format. The sheet music for the St. Louis Blues became a million-selling sheet music phenomenon. Referring back to Berkeley's article in the early 20th century, 1.4 million African Americans, most of whom had become newly freed slaves known as the Emancipation Population, began to head to northern cities such as Chicago, Detroit, and Cleveland, an event which became known as the Great Migration. African Americans left the South for better opportunities. Moving to these cities also meant and gave them a chance to live with or little or no discrimination. After the city's success of hosting the 1893 Columbian World's Fair, Chicago became home of a flourishing art scene that received international attention. The result became a calling to musicians in the South, guarantee, guaranteeing the opportunities for success and a new home for the blues in Chicago. A lot of the earlier musicians made their mark in the Mississippi Delta, and when they relocated to Chicago, their careers had peaked and made them stars in the Windy City. That was the case for the start of the Chicago Blues Movement. Any artists who originated in the Mississippi Delta relocated to Chicago to better and energize their traditional acoustic blues sound. Some of the earlier known blues musicians from Chicago were Tampa Red, Blind Lemon Jefferson, Ma Rainey, Georgia Tom, and Big Bill Brunzi. Tampa Red was one of the earliest bluesmen to break out of Chicago. Nicknamed the Guitar Wizard, he was a master of the slide guitar. Tampa Red acquired a day job at nights and weekends spent his time playing in the streets of Chicago for tips. It was during this period Red had met bluesman Thomas Dorsey. The two began recording as a duo and released a 78 for Paramount Records in 1928 titled It's Tight Like That. It was a double entry blues song. The record became a hit which earned them $4,000 in royalties which at the time was a lot of money. 
The song's popularity spawned a genre of sexual songs known as hokum, which became one of the first blues styles to cross over to white audiences. In 1932, Dorsey left the blues scene and went on to become father of gospel music, writing ballads like Take My Hand, Precious Lord, and Peace in the Valley. From this point on, Tampa Red went on to sign Bluebird Records. Red had stayed with Bluebird for 20 years and recorded hits that included Nobody's Sweetheart, Shake It Up a Little, Mr. Rhythm Man, and Anime Blues. Around 1940, Tampa Red purchased an electric guitar and continued his music with more hits that included Let Me Play With Your Poodle, She Wants to Sell My Monkey, and When Things Go Wrong With You, It Hurts Me Too. In 1954, Red's wife had passed away as alcoholism plagued Tampa Red's life. He eventually quit making music. Tampa Red was truly an early innovator of the Chicago blues movement. Perhaps another one of the most key figures during the early formation of the Chicago blues was Big Bill Brunzi. An innovator with his music, Brunzi was perhaps the first big star from the Chicago blues sound. According to an article written by Martin Chilton titled, Big Bill Brunzi, Legacy of a Musical Pioneer, written from the Telegraph website. Brunzi began his blues career by playing fiddle. Playing in his homeland in the Mississippi Delta, Brunzi played mostly at dances. His career was interrupted by getting drafted in the army and served in France in World War I. Various articles have mentioned this, but upon Brunzi's discharge from the army, he went to work. During this job search, an employer told him to take his army uniform off and put on overalls because the employer did not want to see African Americans wear military garment. This included, this excuse me, this incident angered Brunzi, who then wanted to play a rougher side of the blues and inspired him to write, When will I get to be called a man? In a scholarly article, Just a Dream, Community, Identity, and the Blues of Bill, Big Bill Brunzi, written by Kevin D. Green and published in 2011. It was not until January of 1920 when Brunzi had left the Southland for good. After making a brief stop in St. Louis, his arrival in Chicago was on February 8, 1920. Brunzi's first taste at playing Chicago blues began playing alongside other musicians on the vaudeville circuit in Chicago. Among the musicians were Papa Charlie Jackson, Ed Strickland, Theodore Edwards, John Thomas, Jeffrey Moore, and Frank Bratchwell. It was not long enough after that, Brunzi picked up guitar and began recording professionally. From 1927 until the next 30 years, Brunzi would record or, or contributed in over 300 songs. Some of Big Bill Brunzi's hits include Big Bill Blues, House Rent Stomp, Saturday Night Rub, Mr. Conductor Man, Mississippi River Blues, Lonesome Road Blues, and Key to the Highway. By the time the 1940s arrived, the Chicago Blues grew and more blues musicians had broken out. Musicians including Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Willie Dixon, Coco Taylor, Otis Rush, Bo Diddley, Kansas' Joe McCoy, and Buddy Guy. Richard Allen Burns from the... Arkansas Review, a journal of Delta Studies, wrote a review on, on the book, Willie Dixon, Preacher of the Blues, written by... I'm not going to pronounce that. I'm not going to say that. Sorry. Allen states in his review that the author of the book points out about what Willie Dixon brought to the table regarding his contributions. Dixon's most notable work for compositions for other bluesmen. Notable contributions include Backdoor Man by Otis Rush, 
Hoochie Coochie Man by Muddy Waters, Spoonful by Howlin' Wolf, I Can't Quit You Baby by Otis Rush, and Little Red Rooster by Howlin' Wolf. Perhaps the most important figure of the Chicago Blues was McKinley Morganfield, whom we know by his stage name Muddy Waters. According to the PBS webpage, American Roots Music on a Muddy Waters biography, Waters came out of the Mississippi Delta releasing his first 78 in 1941. With the guidance from Big Bill Brunzi in 1943, Waters moved to Chicago. After Waters moved to Chicago, he completely amplified the blues, put a band behind them, and gave it a backbeat. One of the earliest recordings with Muddy Waters featured an electric guitar was Gypsy Woman, released in 1947. Although not used as a lead instrument in the song, the use of the electric guitar that early really made it feel like it was ahead of its time. In 1950, Muddy Waters released the 78 Rolling Stone. After the release of that 78, Muddy Waters became a star. Waters had a strand of hit records that included I Can't Be Satisfied, Rolling and Tumbling, Hoochie Coochie Man, Manish Boy, and Got My Mojo Working, just to name a few. Muddy Waters was an inspiration to musicians yet to come and was king of the electric blues. B.B. King was a blues man who made his mark in the Chicago blues scene. Known as a great guitar player, he gave his iconic black Gibson guitar name, Lucille. An article posted on the Rolling Stone magazine website titled The Legacy of Lucille, the surprising story behind B.B. King's guitar, written by Richard Beanstalk, tells a history upon how King named his guitar, Lucille. Beanstalk, excuse me, Beanstalk states as follows from a videotape interview of King. In 1949, during a nightclub performance in Arkansas, it was winter, so in order to heat the room, a garbage pail was used. Fill it halfway with kerosene, light the fuel, and place it in the middle of the dance floor. On this particular night, a fight had broken out between two men knocking the pail down to the floor, which made the floor look like a river flowing of fire. King's guitar was in the middle of the mess, which he managed to rescue before any occurring damage had occurred. The two men were fighting over a woman at the nightclub who died in the fire. Her name was Lucille. Finding out about her later, King christened the guitar after her. During the 1950s, the Chicago Blues movement inspired a whole new generation of musicians which allowed them to plug in electric guitars for teenagers around the country. This new genre became known as rock and roll. Rock and roll got its influence from various musical genres. With country music came the rockabilly sound. Artists such as Elvis Presley, Carl Perkins, and early Johnny Cash. Swing music became an influence to rock and roll as well. An example of swing combining with rock, the group Bill Haley, excuse me, Bill Haley and his comments. Bill Haley and his comments were known for the 1954 hit "Rock Around the Clock." It is no surprise that blues music had a strong influence on rock and roll. Two key figures from the 1950s were artists that were considered rhythm and blues. With these two artists, however, they definitely crossed over and had that rock sound within their music. With that said, you can hear the blues influence in their music. I'm talking about Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley. Two artists that deeply have the blues in them, both of which were great guitarists. Bo Diddley is often considered a blues man and from Chicago. A person can hear the strong blues influence in his music. Chuck Berry, who came out of St. Louis, also had a strong blues influence. Some will say Berry had a rockabilly sound as well, but the blues influence is fairly evident, especially on the B-side of Maybelline titled Wee Wee Hours. Before Chuck Berry set foot in the studio, he had 
a chance to meet his idol, Muddy Waters. According to the History Channel is History.com website titled Chuck Berry records Maybelline. Barry approached Waters for career advice. Waters introduced Barry to Leonard Chess, one of the Chess brothers and co-founder of Chicago's Chess Records. Chess Records was a huge record company back in the day and produced such bluesmen as Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf, just to name a few. Being a blues record company, it was a reworking of a country song that got producers' attention. The song Maybelline, which was a reworking of Ida Red by Bill Wills and his Texas Playboys. Maybelline became a hit, peaking at number five on the pop charts and number one on the R&B charts. From that point on, Barry's career was highly successful. Besides Maybelline, his hits include Roll Over Beethoven, Rock and Roll Music, Memphis, Tennessee, Johnny B. Good, Sweet Lil' Sixteen, School Days, and No Particular Place to Go. From the birth of rock and roll of the 1950s came the 1960s. A whole new generation of rock and roll musicians came out. This time, however, they were coming out of Britain, what became known as the British Invasion. Bands were forming, which got their influence from American blues and rhythm and blues. Bands like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Animals, and the Yardbirds, to name a few, broke out of Britain with their R&B beat music and heavily blues influence. The Beatles were the kings of the British Invasion. They were not necessarily a band who took their influence from the blues, but they did record a few blues numbers. During the recording sessions for the album Rubber Soul from 1965, an album which the Beatles' sound had changed, they recorded an instrumental called 12 Bar Original, which was like a demo recording. Um, the song was totally 100% blues. The song, unfortunately, did not make the album that was placed on the Beatles Anthology Volume 2 CD in 1996. However, in 1968, the Beatles' self-titled album, which is commonly known as the White Album, John Lennon went mad and recorded Year Blues. The song had typical blues style lyrics to it and a bluesy guitar riff. One of the many bands that had blues written all over their music was London's The Yardbirds. The Yardbirds have three of the best guitarists as members and all three were scholars of the blues. The first being Eric Clapton. Clapton only appeared on 345s until he up and left when the Yardbirds went commercial with the song For Your Love, which became their biggest hit. He was then replaced by Jeff Beck, who fitted right in with the blues traditions that the Yardbirds had started. Around 1966, the Yardbirds acquired a third guitarist who at first shared co-lead guitar with Jeff Beck. Jimmy Page joined before eventually taking over as a lone guitarist for the band. By the time the Yardbirds broke up, Eric Clapton had already formed Cream. Jeff Beck formed his own group called the Jeff Beck Group, which featured lead vocalist Rod Stewart, and Jimmy Page went on to form Led Zeppelin, all three of which carried on with their former blues which Yardbirds had started. If you know your music history, just by hearing the name Rolling Stones, you will know that they were influenced by the blues. They named themselves after the 1950 Muddy Waters song, Rolling Stone. The Rolling Stones were scholars of the blues. They covered many blues songs by artists such as Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf. On the WGBH website, with an article titled Chess Records of the Chicago Blues and the Rolling Stones, Leonard Chess' son, Marshall, and Leonard's brother, Phil, sat for an interview with WGBH in 1994, discussing at the time when the Rolling Stones paid a visit to Chess Records in Chicago. It was during their first American tour. 
They walked in the studio of Chess Records and both Leonard and Phil questioned who they were. One of the brothers said that they looked like freaks. <laughs> the Rolling Stones wanted the, that authentic Chicago blues feel with the likes of Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, Bo Diddley, and Jimmy Reed. So they recorded a session at Chess. Some of the songs were included on their second album, both in America and Britain. 12 by 5 in the U.S. and the Rolling Stones number 2 in the U.K. One of the songs featured was an intimate titled 2120 South Michigan Avenue, which was the address of Chess Records. Britain also had their own blues movement, which established around the time when the British invasion took off. Three of the popular bands were Alexis Corners Blues Incorporated, John Mayo on the Blues Breakers, and the original Fleetwood Mac. Alexis Corners Blues Incorporated was the first to be formed. John Mayall and the Blues Breakers acquired Eric Clapton on guitar after his departure from the Yardbirds. Clapton was featured on a 1966 album titled Blues Breakers with Eric Clapton. Clapton's guitar playing was so phenomenal on the album that a fan graffitied on the North London wall, Eric Clapton is God. When Eric Clapton left them to form Cream, Peter Green took over on guitar. The band released an album with Peter Green before he departed from to form Fleetwood Mac. Both the Blues Breakers albums with Clapton and Green were often compared, explaining that both guitars had a blues background. Eric Clapton perhaps was more bluesy, and Peter Green had a bit more of a jazz feel. Many can thank Big Bill Brunsey for the British blues movement. Kevin E. Green's article, Just a Dream, Community, Identity, and the Blues of Big Bill Brunsey, talks in depth about Brunsey's tour of Europe. Green states his facts by describing Green. In the 1950s, Brunsey was struggling gaining recognition with African-American blues audiences. Brunsey ventured from the blues to try new things and put his career on track again. At this point, Brunsey gained respect from white folk audiences and European jazz and blues. Brunsey's arrival in Europe was on July 18, 1951 in Brussels, Belgium. It was in Belgium when he met blues critic uh, I'm not going to pronounce that name, so I'm sorry. <laughs> this was one of the greatest history events to occur in music. African-American blues crossed over to Europe. When Brunsey arrived in Britain, he was known as the last great American bluesman in the folk blues tradition. After the British invasion died out, American blues carried on throughout the 1970s. It was during this period as well blues music saw a slow dying in radio airplay. At the same time, the blues sound became more modernized. Muddy Waters was perhaps one of the one responsible for modernizing the blues genre as we know it, with the release of the album Hard Again from 1977. The blues on the album was a harder, rougher edge than ever. The album featured its classic Manage Boy, which probably gained more popularity than the original. The version heard on Hard Again was featured in the 1990 film Goodfellas. As soon as blues became modernized, radio was playing less and less blues. Many artists in the present are recording blues. Pop singer uh, Ho Hosier, I can't pronounce his name, I'm sorry, who is known for the song Take Me to, Take Me to Church, grew up listening to records by the Chicago blues artists, which he states in an article from People Magazine's website titled Five Things You Did Not Know About Take Me to the Church Singer Hosier. 
written by Jillian Tilling and posted on February 20th, 2015, one of the things pointed out in the article was that Hojia's father was a blues drummer. Hojia states living... Um, sorry. Papers are stuck. Okay. Living in Irish countryside, he would pull out his albums, which were a selection of folk, soul, jazz, and of course, Chicago blues. Hosea was fascinated with the roots of African-American music. Upon further listening to the song, Take Me to Church, a listener can hear a blues or perhaps a jazz influence in his music. In the final analysis, blues music had come a long way since its beginnings. A gender which started in the Mississippi Delta grew and amplified in Chicago, which grew in other northern cities, even in California as well. Blues inspired the 1950s rock and roll sound and even gained popularity across the Atlantic. It is unfortunate that the popularity of blues is not as strong as it was. Many blues acts today are still recording, which means that it it, it has not totally descended off the face of the earth. Um, the point of this essay was the fact that blues inspired rock and roll. Muddy Waters himself could not have said it better. The Blues had a baby, and they named it Rock and Roll. That's it. That's all I have on that paper. Um, sorry, I kind of you know some mistakes there as I was reading because uh, some of the papers were stuck together. So I was trying to hurry up and grab as much as I can reading it off. So thank you again for letting me have the opportunity to read that. Um, if you have any questions, comments, email me at markrocks77 at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. Just type in Mark Inesito in the search box on the Facebook page. If you have an interest in my blog, go to marksblogoffaith.home.blog. Thank you again, and God bless. See you next time. Goodbye.